This is such a powerful passage, but it's not an easy one. So I invite you to to think with me, to uh, open up your hearts to the Holy Spirit, to ask for a spirit of revelation and, and, and understanding it. I'm trying to think how to start out this morning. Uh, if I had a brand new car up here, I don't how many of you need a new car? I mean, there's probably a few that do. I mean, if, I, if we had a brand new car up here, and, and there was like two ways that you could have this car. I could either just promise it to you, just, just outright give it to you, no strings attached, it's just yours. I just promise it to you. It's yours. After the service, there, you can have the keys, you can drive it home, it's yours. Or there's this new vehicle up here, and if you... If you come and do certain things, if you work for the next five to ten years for it, if you achieve certain things, then at the end of a certain period of time, that vehicle will be yours. I mean, would you rather have it by a promise, just an outright promise, or would you have it, rather have it by something that you had to pass a test, perform something for, accomplish something for in order to have it? Would you rather have it by the promise? Okay. Well, and that's it, a very poor illustration, but, but it's, it, it demonstrates that there's a huge difference between receiving something by promise or receiving it based on law, as Paul would put it in this passage. And Paul has, in this book of Galatians, Paul has shown us from every possible angle, from every possible argument, that believers in Christ, that Christians do not live under the law or laws. And he's, he's contrasted the law and faith, living by faith. He's contrasted the law and the spirit. And now in this passage, he contrasts the, contrasts the law and the promise. And so throughout the book, we're seeing that you know, instead of living by laws, we live by faith. Instead of living by laws, we live by the Holy Spirit, by the influence and leading of the Spirit. And instead of living by the law, we live by the promise. And by the grace of God, we're going to understand what that means before we leave here this morning. We are people of promise. You are a child of promise. You are promise a promise receiver. You know, I went to, for years and years, I went to promise keepers meetings. And I thought of that, you know, promise keepers, promise keepers. And yet in this passage, basically the message is that we are promise receivers. And we need to, to, to develop that kind of heart and mentality and faith and begin to think that way. And there's basically two ways to live. You can live by law or by promise. Are you working your way to a blessing? Are you working your way to God? Are you working and hoping and trying to be qualified for the blessing and favor and acceptance of God? Or do you know and believe that you are qualified and blessed right here and now solely by the promise of God? God gives us, the message of Galatians all through this is that God gives us all the blessings, all the benefits of salvation by a promise that is received by faith. You're not left to hope that your own performance of law-keeping is somehow good enough. But you are, you are saved today. You stand in God's grace and favor today. 
because God promised that to you in Jesus Christ. You are loved and accepted today. You are right or righteous before God. You are received by God. You receive and enjoy the outpouring and fellowship of the Holy Spirit and everything that God has for you through the promise. And you merely receive that by faith. And real Christian salvation, in other words, when a person is truly saved, real Christian salvation begins when you believe the promise of God to save you through Christ. And you continue in that walk, you continue on in the Christian life by believing the promise of God that in Christ you stand in grace and in righteousness and blessing and favor with God from now through all eternity. So we, we live on the promise. And I wish I could just download a revelation to every, per, every person's spirit of that, but we live by the promise or we live on the promise of God. When you get up in the morning, you are not working your way or somehow to qualify yourself for God. You are a recipient. You, you live on the promise of God of what he, has, what he has given you, what he's done for you, what he has given you in Christ. So, we live on the promise of God, believing the promise today and tomorrow. Now, the basic logic of this passage is this. Promises of exceeding great blessing were made to Abraham and to his seed or his descendant. And that seed is Jesus Christ. We, when we connect ourselves to Jesus by faith, we receive these massive blessings from God that God promised. Verse 29, which wasn't in our passage, but verse, verse 29 of the same chapter says, And all who belong to Christ then are Abraham's seed and are heirs according to the promise. So, and if you go back and read Genesis, you get the, the idea that, that it was this, as if God gathered every blessing of heaven and earth, every blessing of his, of, his, of his self, and he gave it to one man, to Abraham. He, he, he selected Abraham out, and he gave him this incredible blessing. He, he gave him, he gave him, him uh, just, just this incredible promise of future blessing. But Galatians makes it clear that that blessing was not just for him. In fact, God said through him and through his through his seed, through Jesus Christ, all the nations would be blessed. And so if you are connected to Abraham through faith in Christ, then all the blessings of God flow to you through this promise. All these promised blessings flow to you and they flow freely to you. So the big idea here, though, in this passage is that God gave this ultimate blessing to Abraham through a promise. Verse 18. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. So if the blessing and favor of God depended on you and on you keeping a law or laws or passing a test or meeting a standard, 
then they are not based on a promise. Again, if you promise to give someone $1,000 and then a month later say to get that money, you have to do my dishes, you have to mow my lawn, you have to clean my house, you have to wash my car for a year, whatever, then the $1,000 is not based on a promise. And so there's, there's two ways to receive th- something. Either you work for it, you somehow qualify yourself to receive it, or you receive it simply because it is promised to you. And God says that all the blessings of His favor, all the blessings of salvation, all the blessings of the outpoured Holy Spirit upon us are ours through a promise. We are given access to the blessing and the riches of God through a promise. Benjamin Warfield was a theologian of perhaps 100 years ago or so. and He married his wife, Annie, when he was 25 years old. And on their honeymoon in, honeymoon in Europe, his new bride, his new wife, was struck by lightning and permanently paralyzed. And Benjamin Warfield, he cared for her for 39 years until her death. And he said during that time that he seldom left home for more than two hours at a time during all those years of marriage. Why did he do that? Because he made a promise. His love and commitment to his wife was based on a promise. For better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. He said he never considered doing anything other than to care for her and to take care of her. Even though she was an invalid all those years, his love and care and his resources were hers for life because they were given to her by a promise. They were not given to her on the basis of her abilities or her performance as a wife or her beauty or her keeping up some kind of expected duties. His love and provision and blessing for her were not based on law. They were based on a promise that he made. And so God has committed himself to you in the same way. He has promised himself to you. He has promised his resources. He has promised all of his riches. He did not withhold anything from you. He gives everything to you through a promise, through an unconditional, free promise. He has committed himself to bless you by a promise. He relates to you. That's how God relates to you. He relates to you by promising himself to you. And you, in a sense, simply marry into the promise by faith. Okay, I feel like if I'd done my job right, everybody would be jumping up and down right now. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. All right. But anybody that knows anything about the Bible or about religion knows that all, God also gave a bunch of rules. He gave, he gave a bunch of commandments or, or the law. You shall. You shall not. And the question that, that, 
that Paul raises here was, was God, when God gave the law, was he in effect taking back his promise to freely bless us when he gave the law? Okay, when the law came in, all that you shall not do this, you shall do this, was God taking back this unfettered, this free-flowing, unconditional, bountiful, generous giving of himself to us by promise? Was God changing that? Was he, was he somehow taking that, that back when he gave the law? Well, Paul's answer to that is no, absolutely not. The law did not set aside the truth that God relates to us and gives himself to us and we enjoy him and we enjoy all of his blessings by a promise received by faith. Verse 15 says, Once a promise is made, nothing else can set that aside. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case with God. So Paul said, this is the way it works even in human legal documents. If any person makes a will, if you make, if you make a will, and you, know, every, you, you hear these advertisements, everybody's supposed, supposed to have a will. If you make a last will and testament, that will functions like a promise. And through a human will, through a last will and testament, a person's possessions and wealth are passed on to other people. And once that's ratified, once it's a legal document, once it's confirmed, nothing can stop that. And in spiritual terms, you are in the will. It's been finalized. It's been duly established, to use the term that, that Paul uses here, at least in the NIV. God has made you a will. He has promised massive riches to you in Christ. And so you receive. You received. You continue to receive. You live by, day by day, under the sense that you are massively blessed and rich and wealthy through all spiritual blessings in Christ just because God promised it to you. So you're not trying to get up every morning to somehow qualify yourself for a relationship with God. You get up every morning as a child of promise, as a person of promise, as a recipient of massive blessing and promises. And your job is to receive, to believe that, to go from faith to faith, moment to moment, enjoying it, glorying in it, thanking and praising God for it. So then, so Paul says, this is the way it works even in human, human dealings or human legal documents. And then he applies it back to the law in verse 17. What I mean is this. <clears throat> the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant or the promise previously established by God and thus does not do away with the promise. So it's like God made this, this will. If you, he made this, this, this will 430 years before he, did, before he brought in the law. Okay? And so the promise was made 400... That's a long time. 430 years. That's a long time. Okay? 
And the point is that the laws of God were given after the promise. In fact, 430 years after the promise. And for 400, if you know your, if you know your Old Testament at all, this is really an amazing story. For 430 years, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all those guys, they lived without the law. They lived under the promise. God's dealing with them was strictly based on a promise. God came to Abraham and says, I will do this for you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless the socks off of you. Your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sea. I will, I will, I will. It was all based on a promise. And you, just, you, list, you look at some of these promises. I will bless you. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. I am with you. I will watch over you. I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised to you. Everything, God's relationship with them was based on a promise. There's no, there was no Ten Commandments. There was no law. There was no uh, ritual. Sac- all, all that had not come yet. And, <clears throat> and the, Paul's point is that nothing, when the law came in, nothing in the law's rituals or requirements or commands cancels out God's method of dealing with you and I through a promise received by faith. That's how Abraham received the blessing. That's how you received the blessing. The law had a purpose, and we're going to get to that. But Paul's point right here is that God started out dealing with men based on giving them an unbelievably generous, massive promise. And God's relationship with you today continues on him giving you an unbelievably massive, generous promise in Christ. So, if, if once you receive the promise, uh, the, the law doesn't cancel that out, okay? If once you receive the promise, nothing else can prevent that blessing from flowing through to you. The law cannot prevent God's blessing. Satan cannot prevent God's blessing. No other per- person can prevent God's, the blessing of God upon you because the blessing of God is upon you in Jesus Christ through a promise. It came through Abraham first, long time ago, through his descendant, Jesus Christ. You're connected to Jesus Christ, but the bottom line is it comes to you through a promise just like it did to Abraham. Again, I tell you, you are a child of promise. You are a person of promise. You are a recipient of massive blessing in this promise of God. And it's very important to know that promises are received by faith. I mean, as Paul just said, we talked about this. Otherwise, it's not a promise, okay? So promises are received by faith, not by doing something really hard or really difficult to qualify for them somehow. Promises are given to you and you, you merely receive a promise. So we're going to go back to verse 7, which again, it's not in your bullet and it's not in this pas- part of the passage, but it's in this, this whole line of thought, which sa- says, <clears throat> so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham the believer. I mean, the, the Jews of this day, 
mean, they understood that Abraham was a blessed guy. I mean, they, they saw him as the most blessed human being that ever walked the face of the earth. I mean, he was just like way up there in their estimation. And Paul comes along and says that those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham the believer. That might not mean a lot to you, but if you understood Jewish culture, Jewish belief, history, you would understand that's huge. That is really, really, really big. Who was it? Was it Life Group? Pam was saying, um, she, when it, she always just says, I'm with him. Yes. Talking about Jesus, you know, just because she goes through that. I'm with him, you know. Well, in this sense, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like, I'm with Abraham. I'm with that guy, the most blessed human being that ever walked the face of the earth. Through faith, just by receiving by the promise of God, I am blessed. You are blessed along with Abraham, the believer. So Abraham received this massive promise of God by believing God. What's it say? Most, most believers know this. Abraham believed God and his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And so this verse says, you, you are linked or connected into the same favor. You are linked into the same exact promise by faith in Jesus Christ. So you are, you, are, you, are, you are linked up to the most blessed human being ever. And it's Abraham, but it really is Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ. Okay? And so you're, you're, you're linked up, you're connected, you're fellow heirs, you've you got the same standing, the same blessing, you stand in the same favor, you stand in the same place, you've got the same status. I mean, you're good. Amen? Okay. And your link, to, your, your link into this blessing is faith. It's not genetics. It's not bloodline. It's not race. It's not being Jewish. It's not keeping the law. The thing that links you into the blessing of Abraham and to his seed, Jesus Christ, is simply believing God. Faith. Those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So, you know what that tells me? That tells me that my job day and night is to be a believer. My job day and night is to believe the goodness of God, the promises of God, the, the, all, this, all this, this, these spiritual riches that, we, that, we've just, that we've just been talking about. And from the beginning of your Christian life to the end, your number one job is to believe. I almost, I wish I'd called Luke, had the song, Standing on the Promise. You know, we are people that just, we just stand on the promise all day long. That's what we do. We are children of promise and we stand on the promises that we've been given by God. If you don't believe that you are blessed today, and actually I'd even go so far as to say if you don't feel that you're blessed today, then either possibly you've never entered into this blessing by a real, genuine faith and connection. Either you've never really been linked up to Christ through faith, or you've gotten your eyes off the promise of God, 
You've gotten, you've gotten your eyes off of living by a promise and onto some kind of law-based performance living like the Galatians were being tempted to. Okay? And later in this book, uh, which I hope I get to teach on this passage because I think it's such a great verse. But later in, this, in, in, in Galatians, Paul will ask him, where, guys, where is that sense of blessing you had? Where'd it go? Once you guys felt like you were really blessed people, what happened to it? Well, the law came in and you started trying to qualify yourself for the blessings of God by doing this and doing that and keeping that. Pretty soon it became a burden. The joy is gone. The glory is gone. And it's, it's no fun. No fun following, following Jesus anymore. Now, the question, uh, obviously, is, is this, or at least anybody that knows anything about the Bible or certainly anybody that knew anything about the Jewish history or, or faith would, would ask this question. Why, then, was the law given at all? What is the purpose of do this, don't do that? What is the purpose of you shall, you shall not? And that's verse 19. That's exactly what it says. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred has come, meaning until Jesus comes. And so that verse really tells us two things. It tells us that the law had a temporary purpose and that it was added because of transgressions. It was added because human beings sin. It was added because human beings transgress or sin against God. And it was added, as we're going to see more clearly in the verses that follow, it was added to make us conscious of our transgressions. Verse 21, well then is the law opposed to the promise? I mean, it's like, is it like, the law and the promise are, are like fighting each other. And, and based on you know, what we've read and maybe what, I've, maybe what we've, I've said so far, you might think, well, well yeah, they're, they're, they're opposed. And, and in one sense, they're completely different systems, but Paul says they're not actually opposed to each other. He says, absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. I mean, the law is, he's saying the law of God is a good thing. And if the law, if the law could give you life, if the law could make you happy and holy and good, then that would be the end of the story. No Jesus, no cross, no crucifixion. But no kind of law or commandment can change your heart. Verse 22, but the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now I want to focus just a little bit on the very on the first part of that verse. It says the script the the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. The New American Standard says the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. In other words, the law showed us all to be sinners. Romans three twenty says the same thing. Through the law we became conscious of our sin. When it says that that we that that through the law 
or the, the, through the scripture, and I believe it's referring to uh, to the laws again. We're going to see as we keep flowing through this uh, passage. But uh, when it says that the law makes us a prisoner of sin or, or shuts everyone up in their, under sin, it means that it that it it destroyed our hope in ourselves. The law points out our sin and makes us hopeless in ourselves. Again, Romans 3.20, through the law we became conscious of our sin. So Paul's point through this is the law is not opposed to the promise, but it prepares us for the promise. By showing our spiritual and moral failures before the holy commandments of God, it, in a sense, shuts us up in this hopeless condition in order to lead us to look for an answer, in order to lead us to look for the promise. It shows us our need. It causes us to desire the promise, to appreciate the promise. So its purpose, the law's purpose, really was to show how far from God we are in ourselves. Its purpose is to frustrate us with ourselves and our own efforts and, and condemn us for our failure or of our failure to be righteous. Nearly every person in the world has the natural impression that that religion or reaching God or righteousness is accomplished by keeping some kind of law or laws and it is so deeply embedded in man's heart that it takes the holy and perfect and righteous standards of God's holy law to break through that false impression. It takes the holy righteous standard of God to break through the big lie of self-righteousness. You know, and, and I, I love Luther on this. And, you know, Luther's really a, really a blunt guy. And there's actually some stuff he said that I, I didn't include because I thought I might have a little trouble explaining it to you. But Luther said, this monster of self-righteousness, this stiff-necked beast needs a big axe. And that is what the law is, a big axe. Accordingly, the proper use and function of the law is to threaten until the conscience is scared stiff. (laughs) It's kind of like what what Paul means. This law is like a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Luther puts it a little different, but you get the point. And he says, you know, as long as a person, this is Luther again, as long as a person is not a murderer, adulterer, or a thief, he would swear that he is righteous. And most people do. How is God going to humble such a person except by the law? And Luther goes on to say, God uses the law to tear to pieces that monster called self-righteousness. As long as a person thinks he is right, he's going to be incomprehensibly proud and presumptuous. He's going to hate God, despise His grace and mercy, and He's going to ignore the promises in Christ. He's going to ignore this massive promise that we have in Christ. 
the gospel of the free forgiveness of sins through, through Christ will never appeal to the self-righteous. So the law is to shatter that, to break that down, to lead you to hope in Christ, to lead you to the promise, to lead you to see the promise, to appreciate it, to love it, to be thankful, to receive it, and to be thankful for it. So, but I want to go on just a little bit of a sidetrack here that I think is necessary in our our present present culture. Uh, The work of the law will make you feel guilt, okay? And I, I mean, that is anathema in our culture. You're not supposed to feel guilt about anything, ever. But the work of the law will make you feel your guilt, your sin, your, sh- your shame, your failure before a holy God. So I want to I address the issue of how this passage addresses it. But I want to address the issue of how we escape feelings of guilt, shame, condemnation, feeling that we don't measure up, or a sense of worthlessness or unworthiness. Okay? Does everybody kind of a pretty good picture of what kind of feelings and thoughts and attitudes we're talking about? All right, the answer of a few, the answer of a few, of course, is to declare themselves to be atheists. They say, you know, God makes, makes people feel guilty. Nobody should ever have to feel guilty. So we just, we just remove God from the scene. If, you know, if God's gone, then his holy law is gone. And uh, that, that, that's how we deal with feelings of guilt, shame, unworthiness, all that. But the answer that you will hear actually more than that, that, that is, I think, probably more dangerous, the answer that we, you will hear most often is... Something like this. Well, just throw off those feelings and tell yourself, I am okay. I am not worthless. I am important. I am worthy. I am significant. I am special. I am good. And nobody can tell me any different. In other words, it's kind of a, a psychological approach to, to, to those things. That's not the solution of the gospel. The solution of the gospel is that awareness of your sin and shame and guilt drives you to the cross of Jesus Christ. And the answer to your failure before the law is Jesus. It's not just to say, no, I really am good anyway. It's not just a psychological answer. It's the answer of the cross of Jesus. The answer to your sin and shame and guilt is Jesus and the promise of God. Now, I want every person free from guilt, shame, condemnation, feeling unaccepted, unworthy. But the truth is, that is what we are on our own. And that is what the law shows us to be. Then freedom from all of that comes through the promise of God to grant you righteousness and worthiness and acceptance and dignity and love in Jesus Christ. And people, people, are, people are searching for acceptance and for a sense of worthiness and, and beauty and wholeness. And the gospel says that comes through Jesus Christ. That sense of being right, that sense of being whole, that sense of being clean and good is given through Jesus Christ as you fix your faith on Him. And actually, 
according to the scriptures, those feelings of guilt and shame at a time or in a season in your life could be the very thing that drives you to a true relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have those feelings, and even as a Christian, whenever you have those feelings, come. Don't, go, don't try to play some mental or psychological or game to try to, to try to deal with that. Come to the one who saves the condemned, who justifies the sinner, who lifts the poor and needy, who comforts the hurting, and keep coming to him. Luther said... When, when the law drives you to the point of despair, let it drive you a little farther. Let it drive you straight into the arms of Jesus, who says, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. I totally agree that we're not to wallow in those, those kinds of morbid guilt and shame and failure. And, and after, after Jesus sets us free or after being set free by Jesus and as we come and keep looking, our eyes, keep looking to Jesus with our eyes on him, um, yeah, I think it's unhealthy to, to live in that, those kind of feelings. And it, it really is going back to living under the law. It's going back to living under the law and under the condemnation of the law it's not living under the promise of God. So once you have come to the cross, once you've received the promise, you, you live under that. You live under the promise of blessing, not, not of guilt, condemnation, and shame. The law was meant to prepare you for a Savior till the seed should come. It has it never, never been God's intention to live, live under that after you come. And then let's go back to, to verse 22 for just a second. We kind of focused on the first part of this verse. It says, but all scripture has imprisoned, but the scripture has imprisoned all under sin. Now we've, we've kind of focused on that. Again, so that, the rest of the verse says, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Um, the, the law condemned us by our failures as we've seen. It put us in prison, but it, it left just one door, one little door in that prison as a means of escape. And that is the promise of blessing through faith in Jesus Christ. William Tyndale, who gave us, did a lot to give us the Bible that we have, and I, I can't go into all his history, but, but what, a, what a man of God. He said this, the law and the gospel are two keys. The law is the key that shutteth up all men under condemnation. And the gospel is the key which opens the door and lets them out. And Romans 3, 23 and 24 says the same thing. There's no distinction between any of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In other words, the law made us all, every one of us, a hopeless case. And therefore, we are all, as all, as all hopeless cases, we are all 
justified by faith in a promise. Nobody, nobody comes any other way. Nobody comes any other way. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Verse 24 says the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. It was like a schoolmaster to, to prepare us for Christ. That the law leads us to grace. But when you come to Jesus with nothing in your hand, with only faith in the promise of God, then the law has done its work. And when the law has destroyed your, your confidence in yourself, your hope in yourself, and driven you to faith in Jesus in a real way, I mean in a real way, in a real trust, then you're no longer under this schoolmaster. So... You know, my prayer this morning is that we'd have, a, have just an unbelievable revelation in our hearts that every blessing God ever, ever prepared for human beings is yours in Jesus Christ on the basis of the unshakable, unbreakable promise of God. All the blessings of God are yours today. Just, just receive them. Just receive them. All the riches of Christ are yours today. All, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the promised Spirit. The promise of the Spirit is yours. It says, by faith. It's, just, it's yours just to receive, to enjoy it by faith and a promise. And that's, that's, how, that's how we live. So, are you, are, you, are you living under this promise? Are you living under this promise? Are you enjoying God and living with this sense of blessing? Do you, do you consider yourself a blessed person today? Um, are you walking under the smile of God? You can. You can by faith in Christ. You can start right now. You don't have to work your way into this. You don't have to work your... You don't have to be qualified somehow. You can start right now. Just starting to believe that you're blessed outrageously through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you that we are children of promise. God, we thank you so much that you have given us massive, generous, gracious promises through the gospel. And we, uh, we rejoice in that. And we thank you that, that it's Jesus that took away our sin and our guilt and our shame, the condemnation that came through the law. And we thank you for the, for, for the law and its, and, its, and its work in our lives to show us our need of a Savior so that we would see and appreciate and come and flee to the cross for our salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Looks like, looks like we're going to sing a song. So let's stand up. Stand on the promises of Christ my King Through eternal ages let His
on the promises of Christ the Lord. Bound to Him eternally by love's strong Overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword. Standing on the promises of Of God, my Savior. 